This episode of Two Fit Crazies and a Microphone Podcast is brought to you by Conti Fitness and Wellness. The best in fitness, wellness, public speaking, health coaching, and more. Find out promo codes and information at contifitness.net. This episode is also brought to you by High Five Health and Fitness. Create positive change in your life with online health coaching from High Five Health and Fitness. High Five Health and Fitness.com. And finally, do you want the most optimal health? and improved performance in your life, check out Vox Life. They are a company that reduces pain, increases strength, endurance, increases stability, balance, and enhances reins of motion, provides for faster reaction times. Check out all the promo codes for insoles, socks, you name it, at twofitcrazies.com. It is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies. <laughs> and the microphone. We are where it's at. <laughs> I went right in the broadcasting voice there. And I'm Brian <laughs> It is a beautiful day in New Jersey. Coming at you. Hello, everybody. Oh, my gosh. It's about where we're at. This week has been nuts. Nuts. Crazy. It, As it's opposed like, to every other week? No, it's extra crazy because I think everyone after the new year took like a, a week kind of like a, you know, a little downtime to get themselves, you know, back from the well, holidays. You know what it was? It was and then it was like, bam! The New Year's was early in the week. What? Like, so then you got like those Happened. days. I saw somebody's Twitter <sighs> Twitter post that says, all right, so we're all in agreement that New Year's actually starts on the 7th, which was Monday, you know? Literally, yeah. I, I have no where. I don't know how I'm functioning. I don't know what day it is. We're we're great. It's good. Where do I need to be, Christine? You just put your Wonder Woman bandana <laughs> on and you just get busy. All right, just keep it moving. Is it still upside down? It's upside down. Yeah, you yeah. look like Macho Man I instead am. of Wonder Woman. <laughs> it's fine. Both. Well, that's who I am right this second. And then I'm gonna flip it back. Macho Man. All right. So, last episode, episode seventy-seven, Colin Henry joined us and I think his story was great. He's he's such a he's a great person, chasing his dream, entering, you know, the he's a rap artist that, you know, we talk about the creative process of, you know, how do you how do you come up with things? How do you even recognize that you have a talent that is something that may be able to support you and be a right. career. And trust it. And and go and really say, you know what? You're gonna get a lot of no's and it's gonna be really super hard work. Um but I think he's right in with the fit crazy, you know, idea of listen, YOLO. Listen, if you don't go for it, you're going to have that. What if I, yeah, I wish I would have. And, you know, for him, he's saying that, you know, he's doing it now. Um, while a lot of his friends are getting those, you know, safe jobs or the nine to five or, or doing what they're supposed to be doing, what society says you're supposed to do, which is what I did. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of what follow you did. The, follow you know? the playbook. And, you know, he's just. Ripping the playbook up a lot earlier than than you and I did. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, he's saving and, himself some time, right? And that's it. And and, and it's uh, cool. I look. I've, I've said this time and time again on the show. You know, we people bring us. You know, they come into us because of what they're doing, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's creating fitness programs or teaching people, uh, you know, fitness programs or or you know, artists and things mm -hmm. like that. You know, but what we really get is their story. Yeah. You know, we talk to them about what you know who they are. 
And, uh, you know, this one was no different. So, like, you know, the, the aspiring rap artist, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily fit the mold of the show, you know, as our label yeah. is and fitness and health and all those things. But it does right. because it's exactly kind of in one way or another. It fits the picture of, like you said, of what we do and what we've done. And, and, uh, and I just love that he was a great, he's a great kid and he's Christine's former student. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, good on you, teachers. Uh, you know, and um, especially those English teachers putting the words together. And uh, it was just a fun time. It was a good, good conversation. Makes and, me uh, feel warm and fuzzy yeah, to yeah, see my yeah. to see former students doing so well and following their dreams. I mean, how many people are miserable? That's right. True. Like, how many people are just stuck in the job, stuck in the relationship, stuck in the relationship with food, and stuck in the relationship with and what Colin's exercise? doing is freaking scary. Oh, That's yeah, scary. Yeah. 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 So <sighs> cool. Cool. All right. So check it out. We are on to 78 today with Dr. Evan Osar, who is actually originally a Jersey native, which right. is really kind of cool. He's coming to us today from Chicago. Um, but he is actually, I would say, a corrective exercise I was going to say expert, but he's he is like an expert. He's a oh, specialist. Um, wound up. He wrote the book on it. He does have multiple books out, um, but he's an integrative movement specialist is really what he says. And um, he has his own practice in Chicago, but he travels around the world, actually, which is so cool. And he lectures and gives workshops. He works with his wife and I, they are just an amazing power couple. I met them a few years ago um, traveling the country in the SCW um, fitness convention circuit and he really has a lot of great information we asked him to talk specifically um to you know to kind of to cater to some runners but he goes out um and really you're going to hear some really great information about myths that we all believe Buy into. and uh Sorry about that. That was my phone. So myths that we all buy into. Go ahead. So he talks about myths that we all have bought into and we don't realize just because we may not be listening to the right people or we're just been repeating what we've heard over and over and over again um, about injuries. Common things. Absolutely. So it's going to be fascinating. I wrote three pages worth of notes <laughs> because this is it, really powerful. Yeah, yeah, he de- he he definitely um you know some of the terminology and things like that might be, you know, uh, um somewhat higher end of the uh, uh, of the business um that we're in. Um but because he's a you know, he's a doctor and and uh you know, he uses some terms, but we try and break it down and get it to you in a way that you can understand it. Um you know, it's riveting for me, uh you know, uh, just from where I sit and 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 my um you know just position as a trainer and and training people and also as a runner and i like what can i take out of this for myself to improve um you know what we're doing and uh it's just a it's really good conversation he's an interesting man and who's got a ton of information and uh we just hope you enjoy it it's it's a it's a good it's a good listen episode 78 dr evan osar enjoy
It is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited. I am very Grade excited. Grade A guests here today. Absolutely. And uh, 2019, only bringing you the uh, the best in the business. Yeah. Listeners. So with that said, we are getting right into this today. And we have with us, straight from the Chicago area, is that correct? That is correct. The Dr. Evan Osar, international lecturer, author, expert in corrective exercise. And everyone is in for a treat today because... Evan, I cannot wait for you to share some of these, I guess, truths um, that are out there and maybe dispel some myths that I think many of us um, may may have come to know and come to believe that it may just not be the best for us. We want the evidence-based goods, Evan. Yeah. So I can deliver that for you and your audience, for sure. <laughs> so with that said, how are you doing, by the way? I'm doing great. It's uh, 2019, beginning of the year, and, and I'm ready to rock and roll and uh, help you guys out and help your runners out and, and make your athletes as great as they can be this year. Beautiful. And before we start, so Evan, where are you from originally? I'm originally from the same place you are, my friend, New Jersey, born and bred in New Jersey. So shout out to all my friends and family and great people of New Jersey. I love the area. I love living out in Chicago now and traveling all over the country, but my heart is still in Jersey and I'm very fond of that area. And where exactly in New Jersey? I was born in Trenton, New Jersey, and then I grew up most of, mostly in upper upper northwest Jersey in the Parsippany, Morristown. Specifically, it's Lake Hopatcong, but nobody knows that, but people know Morristown. And, you know, I started out in Morris County College, right on the uh, Morris County Hill there, you know, in in, uh, Randolph, New Jersey. So uh, that's where I'm from. Lots of good runners up there. It's funny, my... Randolph. My, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, uh, what was it? In college, my roommate was from Lake Copacong, and I didn't, I'd oh, never no heard way. of it before, and I used to call yeah. it Lake Hippity Hop. I'm like, <laughs> where are you from? And she was a runner as well. So, so yeah. So, so uh, largest lake in New Jersey, but again, I'm in Chicago next to Lake Michigan, so it's sort of uh, pales. It's, 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 it's like a drop of Lake Michigan. <laughs> oh, my It's goodness. a claim to fame. It's like, being yeah, the tall, right. it's like being the tallest person in my family. You know, I'm yeah, like yeah, five yeah. foot seven. <laughs> All right, there, there you go, there you go. So... Let's let's talk about this. So, how did you get into? Um, how did you get so fascinated with exercise science and corrective exercise? And how, what led you to this path? Yeah, so I'm going to make a real long story, rather short. I started out in bodybuilding. I was a real scrawny little kid. Not that I'm so huge now, but I started out bodybuilding back in the '80s, back when Arnold Schwarzenegger was big and bodybuilding was really just taking off. And that got me into obviously working out and I'm just a geek about information like you guys are. And I just, I literally had a subscription and read every single bodybuilding magazine. And I was, um, I was studying in college at Mars County college. I started studying recreation and leisure. So like, what does somebody do with recreation and leisure? Um, I came to a point in my college career. I was like, uh, I don't know, really know what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I, I had to take one math or one science at that point to finish up my associate's degree. And I met my best friend at the time in the gym, 
And he was, he was also going to Mars County College. And he said to me, you know, I asked him, you know, what class are you taking? And, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm taking, you know, biology major. I'm, I'm going to go to chiropractic college. So I needed one math or one science to graduate and finish my program. So I had done terrible. And, and you know, I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I literally cheated my way through biology, <laughs> chemistry, and, you know, math, and all those classes in high school. So, you know, I was great in English in those classes, but I was terrible in, in biology and science. And, and, and I literally hated it. But he taught me. Like, it was, it was kind of interesting. It's kind of funny when you, you think about the people you meet in your life and the reason why you meet them. But I, was, I, was, I met him for a reason, and he actually taught me how to study. I got like one of the highest classes in a great, you know, in a class of a hundred people, I got probably the highest class or that's one of the top three cl- grades in the class because he taught me how to study and it really changed the direction of my life. I changed my major to pre-med and then I ended up going away to college to finish up my bachelor's and I was originally going to go to physical therapy school because my, my sister was a physical therapy assistant and talked me into that. But then my buddy had gone out to chiropractic college and, you know, long story made short, I, I ended up going to chiropractic college. So, so that's, that's really my background of how I got here. Now, what got me into corrective exercise was I started getting injured myself, you know, somewhere around the ages of 28 to 30. And I, I turned 50 here in a couple of weeks, or should say a couple of months. I started getting injured doing all the things that I was taught to do in the industry, like training functional, training in three planes of motion, training like you do in everyday life, training like an athlete, all these things, some of these myths that we've all been taught to believe. And, and it really, when I started getting injured in serious injuries, I've rotator cuff and bilateral label tears in both shoulders. It started to make me question the things I was being taught and, the direction our industry is going, our industry being the health and fitness industry. And as I started to see more clients, my population, I should say more patients in my office, my population went from training, I should say training and working with older clientele. So the baby boomers and seniors, anywhere from like 50 to 70. And the, the population started to really get younger. Like I was starting to see teenagers and 20s and 30-year-old people now, especially with CrossFit and, and those HIIT-type programming, we're, we're seeing younger and younger people in our practice. And, and what used to be completely older people with, with you know, just lifestyle issues, now we're seeing people injured in major injuries because of their exercise habits. So one thing that we're going to talk about today at some point, I'm sure, is why are we seeing all these injuries and why are so many athletes and, and people that are doing the quote-unquote right things actually getting injured? I, I definitely that's like was li- on my list before we even started this conversation, you know, kind of like what's working, what's not working, why are we seeing all these injuries? But but first, I, I, before we get it, I want to know, like from you, um, what are your not philosophies, but w- what's your point of practice or your direction of practice and, and explain to us, you know, your your principles that you follow? Yeah, Sure. So we have a private practice here in Chicago, Illinois. It's a real small practice. It's me, my wife. We have a movement specialist, Sarah. Sarah, even though her background is a trainer, she's been through our our system, the integrative movement system, and certified as an integrative movement specialist through us. And she's worked with us for a dozen years. So she, and again, I don't mean to say this to as a disrespect to anybody that has a four-year, six-year, or more degree, but she is better than the majority of physical therapists and chiropractors as it comes to analyzing, moving, assessing movement, looking at corrective exercise and taking people strategically because she's been through our system and she understands some certain fundamentals about how to teach movement. And we, you were asking about principles. We operate underneath three principles and those principles are alignment, breathing, and control because 
regardless of someone's functional goal. So when people come to see us in our clinic, they've probably seen multiple chiropractors, physical therapists, massage therapists, other healthcare practitioners. And so it's one thing we're going to talk about. It's not about the exercises. Like our industry is so focused on exercises. Like you have this problem, do these exercises. You have this problem, get stronger in your core. You have this problem as a runner, you got knee problems, you, you know, you, you, you want to get faster, strengthen your glutes. And the one thing we operate underneath in our clinic, it's not about your exercises. It's about the strategy that you use, the strategy that you use for posture and movement. And our entire goal and, and our approach is to First, assess your current strategy. Well, first, we take a history. Let me me back up. First, we take a very thorough history. So a a big part of what we do and what we do really well is we know the questions to ask people and the information that we get from the questions. And that's your current issue, what you've been through previously, your medical history, the things that people don't take into consideration that actually contribute to where they're at, things like their previous surgeries, uh, injuries, like their broken bones, those those seemingly not related in uh, surgeries like gallbladder surgery. I had my gallbladder out when I was, not, not me personally, but a patient will come in and say, I had my gallbladder out, you know, when I was, when I was 10, that doesn't matter now. I'm like, yes, it does. All those things set up the current patterns and habits that we currently, that that person currently has. And that's why it's important to understand that. And that's, those are the things that other practitioners, very few people actually question, look at and, or understand the correlation to why the person has issues today. So we have our principles, alignment, breathing, control. We have our assessment process, and then we use our corrective exercises. Let me back up one more time. Our assessments then help us determine our patient's current process for and strategy for posture and movement. So what we're looking for are non-optimal and inefficient posture and movement strategies. So we understand how to assess the body. But understanding how to assess the body starts with understanding functional anatomy. you got to know how the body is supposed to operate and how muscles are supposed to work. Biomechanics, how should joints move? So you have to understand how joints are supposed to move based, as you said earlier, Brian, you, you alluded to, evidence-based, not on what you think it should do, but what does the evidence say how joints should be positioned and how they move and how the brain controls muscles to control those joints. And then how, again, the body controls it through motor control, what we call motor control or how the brain connects to the muscles and controls posture and movement. So from our assessments, we determine our clients' non-optimal and inefficient posture and movement habits because then that leads us to the specific exercises that we do with our clients. And that's what drives and dictates the exercises we use. And that's why I said earlier, it's not about the exercises that people are doing. It's about why you're doing the exercises you're doing and what is your goal of doing them. And that is driven by the assessment. The assessment picks up the non-optimal and inefficient posture and movement habits. The corrective exercises are then directed at creating more optimal and more efficient posture and movement habits. Then the third step of the process is really just integration. You're integrating more optimal posture and movement habits into the fundamental movement patterns. And the fundamental movement patterns are all the patterns that we all need to do regardless of your functional goals, what you want to do, what you want to accomplish. You need to learn how to Squat, lunge, push, pull, bend, rotate, balance, walk, and carry. Wow. <laughs> that was just a wow. Yeah. Um, this is, this Slow I think class. is so important because right now, again, our listeners and, you know, those people that you speak to around the world, there's, there is something going on. And Brian and I are, are with you on this that, you know, the, the injuries that are taking place, we are, um, 
I would say not the biggest fans of CrossFit. To speak on your behalf, mm-hmm. Brian. No, we, no, we, we okay. We, now, ba- we bash it. We do. Okay. So I'm just going to say that lightly. I grew up. I was a volleyball player. I've had surgery. My first surgery was when I was 16. It was, you know, I I worked with a lot of coaches, and and again, we were you know, lifting things up and putting things down. It was about power explosiveness. There was no corrective exercise going on. There was, here's what, you know, here's the the program. You're going to follow the program. You're going to fit inside this little box of, you know, you better do this or else. And this is all we know. And there was no, you know, assessment of individual needs and goals and looking at different people's bodies. So I think, you know, this, I'm hope. I guess I'm hoping that this is where, eventually fitness is going where it's, you know, much more specified for the individual. Now, what are you seeing? So you said that there are, you know, you're seeing a lot of major injuries with people younger. What is it that you're seeing and what misinformation are they receiving? Sure. Just one thing I want to clarify. I used to be a big basher of CrossFit and, I work with a lot of CrossFit athletes, so it's not (laughs) – it may not be the most appropriate thing for a lot of people that are doing CrossFit. But, you know, it's funny when you look at the industry, it's it's like saying to a marathon runner, like, marathon – you could bash marathon runners too, right? Absolutely. Like, it's like – it's the same kind of extreme exercise that many people shouldn't be doing even though a lot of people love love to do it. So now to answer your question, Christine, here's here's we, we were, we're going to talk about runners, and, and we'll address this specifically to runners, but this is really any type of athlete because we're seeing a very similar pattern. And I'm sorry, this, I can't seem to turn off my iMessaging if you're hearing that beep in the background. <laughs> you're good. So I, just, I do apologize for that. So here's the thing, and, I, and, this, and this is how the demographic of, of our patient population has changed over the years. We are now seeing 11, 12, 13-year-old girls in our office that are having surgery for labral tears and degenerative changes in their hips. And these are girls that are we, – we see a lot of dancers and gymnasts. So there's girls in gymnastics and dancing. And so you start to ask – I started to ask myself a long time ago, like, why are such young people having issues and injuries that we only saw in older population? But we're seeing them, like I said, 11, 12, 13-year-old girls. You know, I, I got to watch a, a top orthopedic surgeon for, for labrums, hip labral tears, a few years ago. And before I started really thinking about it, and the the patient population that he was seeing, he saw he did four labral surgeries. One was a 14 year old soccer player, a 15 year old soccer player, and then a 30 year old female and a 40 year old male. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, why are 14, 15 year old girls having labral surgery? And it really comes down to one thing. And yes, overtraining plays into it, but it's bigger than overtraining. And again, if if if, if you're working with athletes that are so sport specific at an early age, that will definitely play a, play a role in this. But it, it's even more specific than that. Now, when you think about, like I said, I'm close to 50 years years of age. I don't know how you guys are. You guys are, are much younger than I am. 43. Or, or, 21. Or, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I said. You're much younger than I am. Um, but, but when we were growing up, it was really about you never did sport-specific conditioning. You didn't have strength and conditioning coaches. You didn't have, you know, organized weightlifting you know, we, we worked out with a football coach and we would do weightlifting, but, but it wasn't this year-round, do the same thing all year round. So what's happening today is now every coach, every parent, every athlete is being taught, you need to work with a strength and conditioning coach. And there's nothing wrong inherently with that idea. 
There's nothing wrong with that idea at all. The challenge with that idea is, and this, and this is the first controversial thing I, I will say, is most strength and conditioning coaches do not have the knowledge base to appropriately assess, determine what the athlete needs, and then train them in an appropriate manner to that not only improves their functional outcomes. And, and, and there's great trainers that are out there that are doing great things at increasing speed, strength, power, all those functional outcomes that, that the program and the strength and conditioning coach is trying to create. But what, that's not what I said. I said that most strength and conditioning coaches do not have the functional anatomy background, the understanding of biomechanics, the understanding of motor control to create programs for their athletes that actually not only improve functional outcomes, but actually help keep them healthy and safe. And I'm saying right now that the strength and conditioning industry is actually a major contributor to why people are having so many injuries because the strategies that they're, they're teaching their athletes are actually what's directly breaking them down. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. And this is not a knock on anyone in particular or any strategy in particular, because we can look at CrossFit. We can look at functional training. We can look at sports specific training. We can look at whatever yoga, Pilates, it all has a lot of the same characteristics of it. It's not about the approach. It's about the strategy that the strength and conditioning coach or whatever coach, whatever you're, however you're coaching and doing your conditioning work with your athlete, what, what the approach is, is more important than the, than the exercises or, or whatever your background is, you know, whether it be, like I said, you know, a powerlifting or a strength conditioning or Pilates or yoga, whatever the strategy is or whatever your, your method of getting to you, the results are. So it's really about the strategy that you're helping the athlete create. It's not about trying to get the athlete stronger in lieu of safety, helping the athlete better align, better breathe and better control. And that's what is different between our approach to training athletes, conditioning athletes, and rehabbing the athletes than most of the other approaches that are out there. So, so let's stay on that for a second and, and just elaborate on that. I mean, is mm-hmm. it is it that they're getting to what they feel like they need to do with the athletes too soon without doing the foundational work? Is it is it that they just you know where do they go wrong with it? Where, in your opinion? Yeah, that's exactly it, Brian. It's because there's such a focus. Like the industry has such – if you're a strength and conditioning coach, just the term strength and conditioning says in your brain, sets sets up the mindset in your brain that I have to make this athlete stronger. Not I have to teach this athlete a better strategy of how to use their body, that I have to make them stronger. And what happens is the athlete gets stronger. Athletes by nature – and again – you know, we, 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 we look at some different athletes along the, the spectrum. Athletes by nature are the outliers, right? Many of them. I should say, you know, if you look at some of the, the higher-end athletes, many of them are the outliers. So they can muscle through non-optimal strategies, non-optimal, inefficient strategies for alignment, for breathing, for control, and really make the strength and conditioning coach look awesome and validate him or herself because they keep getting stronger. They have better power. They have better functional outcomes, speed, endurance, flexibility, whatever it may be, however you're measuring. But nobody actually starts, stops and questions, what about those athletes that don't have the same genetical, genetic predisposition to withstand those non-optimal and inefficient strategies? What about those athletes that are getting injured? And again, like I said, we're seeing younger and younger athletes get injured. We're seeing more and more individuals not have long careers because of these non-optimal and inefficient strategies. And 
and the strength and conditioning industry really likes to pat themselves on the back when their athlete is, is the best athlete in their sport or whatever activity they're doing, but they very rarely start to point the finger and say, hey, what did I do that you know, when their athlete gets injured, they rarely ever do I see point the finger and say, hey, was there something about my program then that actually didn't work? Or is there something about my program that actually contributed to the reason why this athlete has this injury or didn't perform at the level they did? And that's the one thing that we really do with our system is we're always questioning what we do. If somebody is coming through our system and they're not getting better or they actually get injured while they're with us, you know, doing their sport. We're always questioning, what did we not look at? What did we miss? You know, obviously there's those, those contact injuries, those things that come up. I fell off my bike. I, I tripped in a hole, whatever it may be, those, those outliers or those, those things that happen that contribute to injuries. But what we're looking at is more specifically those non-contact injuries or, or when athletes get injured, they spent the whole summer conditioning, quote unquote, conditioning, strength and conditioning. And all of a sudden they're getting injured in their, in their, pre um the preseason sort of training you know, or or their, or their sports it's like why do you pull a hamstring when you when you start practicing when you just spent the entire summer for example conditioning shouldn't the strength and conditioning coach have trained you to a point that you, maybe you get injured later in the season when you're fatigued and, you, and you've had the you know the the, the you know the, uh, the the whole the whole season to to play and perform at a high level you know obviously you're going to have some overuse things that happen but why are so many athletes getting injured in preseason before they ever get the volume or or that you know those, those things that come up during during the season so those are the things that you know we really look at as part of our programming and we're always questioning and we use our assessments we're always reevaluating the programs we use because of just that we want to make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable to the programs that we're using and not just resting back and, and saying to ourselves oh yeah we we have we, our athletes are stronger. Our athletes are faster. They're more powerful. So we must be doing a great job. It's like, no, they're just responding. The athletes just responding to the program that you put them on. But then also if you're having athletes that are getting injured, especially those non-contact being very good at looking back at your programs and being very, you know, you know, not taking responsibility for everything, but just taking responsibility for what you're responsible for. And again, a lot of that has to, as you said, Brian, not focusing enough on those foundational concepts and, and spending enough time creating the foundation, the alignment, the breathing control that the athlete can actually use to start to load on strength, power, speed, endurance, flexibility, whatever those, those things that you're ultimately trying to create in, in your athlete. So can you walk our listeners through what may be happening? So something, give us an example of poor mm -hmm. strength and conditioning, and then mm -hmm. give us an example of what should be happening. And maybe, sure. you know, maybe for a specific muscle yeah. group or, or a specific athlete. So what's the, what's doesn't work and then what should be taking place? For sure. So, so let's stick with the topic of the hips. So we have, when I first learned years ago, and this, this will relate well to your runners because that's, that's who a lot of your population is, and, and you guys are both runners as well. So most runners have been taught that everyone has tight hip flexors and weak glutes. So then, obviously, the, the rational approach would be, hey, let's go stretch our hip flexors and strengthen our glutes. That will make you run faster. The glutes are the most powerful muscle in the body. You know, It will help save your knees. It will help save your low back. However, if you look at the statistics over the years, and, and my population – my patient population proves this, 
it hasn't worked. We don't see more. We don't see less knee injuries. We don't see less ACLs. We don't see less IT band syndromes. We don't see less low back pain. And we've seen a dramatic increase in, like I said, labral tears and labral tears at a younger age in all across all athletic populations. So why is that? What's happening? Well, way back when, when I was in school, so I was in chiropractic college, 95 through 98. So this is going back 20, 20 plus years. Yanda came out, Vladimir Yanda was a physical medicine doctor out of Prague, and he was a big influence on me. He was a big influence in the industry. And he was really one of, the, one of the first, not the first, but one of the first individuals that really talked about muscle imbalances. So he said certain muscles tend to be tight and short, and certain muscles tend to be over lengthened and weak or inhibited. Okay. So one of the things that he came up with was Yanda's lower cross syndrome. So lower cross syndrome refers to what happens around the low back and and lower body. So he said what happens is you tend to get into an anterior pelvic tilt, excessive anterior pelvic tilt, and increased lumbar lordosis, so increased lumbar curvature and forward tilt of your pelvis. So what that does is the muscle imbalances that create that is you tend to have short, tight hip flexors, over-lengthened glutes and hamstrings, over-lengthened and weak glutes and hamstrings, short, tight lumbar erectors, so the muscles that pull your back into extension, and over-lengthened abdominals and over length in psoas and iliacus okay so when i learned so i learned that earlier on in all the rehab courses that i went to even up to more recently most recently i should say all say and suggest you need to stretch your hip flexors and you need to strengthen your posterior chain so glutes hamstrings and the thoracic erectors so if you look at most of the strength and conditioning protocols that are out there for athletes across the board, this is not just runners. This is your CrossFit athletes. This is your, um, your power athletes, your football players, your gymnasts, your dancers. They're all promoting the exact same thing. Now, the other reason that people have gotten into this mindset is, is they have said that everyone sits for a living. So therefore, that naturally shortens your hip flexors and lengthens your glutes. Now, I want you to think about how you're sitting right now as you're either listening to this podcast replay or, you're, or you, you guys right here, Christine and Brian. I want you to think about how you're sitting right now. Just, just, look at your, just look down at your posture and ask yourself, are you actually sitting in anterior pelvic tilt or are you actually sitting in posterior pelvic tilt? So what, 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 do you guys, what position are you guys in? I'm anterior? Yeah. Mm, nope. No? Yeah. The was, only way you can sit in anterior pelvic tilt is if you force yourself to sit on the edge of your chair and then you rotate your pelvis forward so you have a okay, very significant right. arch in your low back. That's anterior pelvic tilt. Yeah. But no one sits like that because it doesn't okay. feel good and it takes a lot of effort to sit like that. Does that make sense? Well, as soon as you asked me to sit how I'm sitting, I, my shoulders came up, my back came up. You know, I kind of <laughs> yeah, tilted yeah, in the right, right way. Right, I, you know, right. I straightened right up. But you're igniting yeah, 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 a lot yeah, yeah. of muscle groups if you're going to be sitting like that. You know, I mean, yes. you feel your back, you feel your shoulder blades pull together. Yeah. Your, you know, yeah. your abs have to be tight. That's a yeah. that takes a lot. That takes a lot. So nobody sits like that. So most people, and when I say most people, almost everyone—not everyone, but almost everyone—is sitting in posterior pelvic tilt. What sitting does, especially sitting in posterior pelvic tilt, is it actually shortens your hamstrings and glutes and over lengthens your hip flexors. It also overlengthens your psoas. Now, I wrote a book, The Psoas Solution, that came out last, actually, 2017, I believe. And I looked at all the research on the psoas. So when you talk about evidence-based, Brian, 
most people talk about the psoas, but they have no evidence to, to base their, their, their information on. They're just repeating what they've heard. I looked at all the information. I looked at the few people, the one or two people, that are actually doing research on the psoas. And actually, what I found out is the psoas is, number one, not a very good hip flexor, and number two, actually, its main role is to stabilize the lumbar spine and to stabilize the femoral head, the ball, in the acetabulum or the socket of the hip joint. It's not to flex the hip. And even the iliacus isn't a great hip flexor. So now if we, start, we go back to sitting, what sitting does is it actually puts your spine in lumbar spine flexion. A short psoas will actually pull your spine into increased extension. But nobody's sitting with their lumbar spine in increased extension, or I should say, again, very few people. So what's happening to the psoas is the psoas is actually getting longer and also inhibited. So what happens is you have somebody that sits in posterior pelvic tilt, their glutes and hamstrings are short and tight, their hip flexors are actually over-lengthened, and their erectors, their lower erectors are oftentimes, their lumbar spine erectors, not so much in their thoracic spine, are actually over-lengthened as well. And another way to prove this to yourself is to have your client, if you're working with clients, and I think, Brian, you said you're a personal trainer, and Christine, I'm sure you work with some clients, and you can do this on yourself, is to put your feet together, stand, put your feet together, and bend over as if you're going to touch your toes. And tell me how many people actually have a good forward bend and can easily put their, their fingers or even their palms on the floor. And if you can't do that, you're not in excessive anterior pelvic tilt, and you're likely in posterior pelvic tilt. Because if you had good hamstring length and good glute length, you could easily do an anterior pelvic tilt to get yourself to put yourself forward and put your hands on the floor. Now, let's turn that to strength and conditioning. So now you have the belief that everybody's in anterior pelvic tilt, and now it's taught the exact same thing, and that's what I saw on every patient that I looked at early in my career. If you believe that, now what you do when you go to the gym is to pull your abs in to shorten those weak, over-lengthened abdominals. Stretch out your hip flexors, your supposedly tight, short hip flexors. So your psoas, your iliacus, your rectus femoris, the, the sartorius. And you're going to do a lot of strengthening of your abdominals and glutes, and you're going to do a lot of, now you, you see this, ex, this popular exercise, we'll talk more about that later, the hip thruster. And there's been a popularization of that exercise, and I would say that that's one of the exercises that are, is causing creating, perpetuating more hip problems than almost any other exercise. And now you have clients, I should say athletes, going to strengthen their glutes and hamstrings, stretching their hip flexors, their psoas, which are generally already overstretched in these individuals. And now you, you can see why what's happening is they're getting more posterior pelvic tilted, they're getting stronger in their posterior chain, and what that does is it starts to shove their femoral head forward, the ball forward in the socket, and that's why I believe we're seeing so many young athletes with labral tears, with femoral acetabular impingement, or FAI, where they're getting impingement in the front side of their hip, where they're getting bony changes at very young ages, while we're seeing younger and younger people have hip replacements, because every single person that I come in here, that comes into my office, that I evaluate, not every single person, but the majority of people, they are, number one, stuck in posterior pelvic tilt. Number two, they have their femoral head is too far forward in the acetabulum. The ball is too far forward in the socket. And they've, they've been taught, because every athlete reads the Internet now or reads magazines or, or been to see someone that's taught them you have weak glutes and weak abdominals, even though they haven't been tested to determine that. They just, the person is just repeating what they've heard and what they've been taught, and now they're just strengthening the glutes so much that now they've actually created more dysfunction and why we're seeing the complete opposite of what Yanda saw 
many years ago. And the last thing I'll say about this is when Yanda was working with his population, it was a very different population in the 60s and 70s. When you think about what people did, not as many people sat for a living, not as many people worked on computers. I mean, very few people worked on computers. And the population that Yanda worked with the most was construction workers who do very different things as a manual laborer than the majority of clients that you and I work with, which is basically sedentary, either college kids, you know, even if they're athletes, they sit all day long or they're office workers. And now they're sitting, they've sat for decades at their desk as as an uh, working in that manner so very different population than what what yanda saw back in the 60s and 70s than what we're seeing with our younger population and even our recreational athletes it's fascinating it's fascinating so like i guess my question to you then is okay so we've been working the wrong sides we've been strengthening the wrong side of the of the body um what is the solution what what are we uh what's the um the, the prescription for undoing that wrong for sure. So the one thing that we focus on, and, and again, it all comes back to the assessment process. You have to be able to assess your athlete to know what they specifically need. But I'm going to give you some general recommendations of things we work on most frequently in our clinic. So the first thing that, that tends to be most short and tight on people are their external hip rotators, posterior fibers of glute meat and glute max, and their hamstrings. Because, again, the two reasons that, that cause that is because people sit, so they're, so they're in a perpetual shortened position. And the second thing is they've been taught to strengthen through bridges, glute bridging, through hip thrusters, and all those various exercises to, you know, even doing squats and deadlifts, they've been taught to over-squeeze the glutes and external hip rotators on the top side of, of concentric phase of, you know, sort of squats and power, uh, sorry, deadlifts. So they've been shortening those, they've been shortening those muscles so much and consequently over-lengthening their hip flexors so as. So the first thing we do with those clients that once we've done our assessment is there's, we do our foam rolling. Myofascial release is a big component to release the posterior hip complex. So the hip rotators, posterior fibers of glute med, superficial fibers of glute max, and to lengthen the hamstrings without changing the lumbar spine position. So we're very specific about how we stretch and, quote, unquote, lengthen the hamstrings. The next thing we're looking to do is there's, there's some focus upon getting the rib cage better aligned over top the pelvis. And you guys, I don't, I don't know guys how you guys feel about chi running, but essentially if you look at all the best runners, what they do really well, especially you start to, start to look at your elite runners, and I don't know, I'm sure you've, you've looked at this and talked about this previously, is they all have rib cages that are stacked well over top the pelvis. So what we do next is once you've done your release, you have to teach your client how to better stack and align, and that's that's one of the three principles: the align of the aligned breathing control is stack and align that rib cage over top the pelvis. So we'll do happy baby position, or should say happy baby position is is sort of like the same thing as a modified dead bug. We call it happy baby because that's the position we first developed core stability in as children. So if you look at like um, the dead bug position, for example, many of you many of your listeners will be familiar with the dead sure. bug. We're not trying to go into posterior pelvic tilt. We're not trying to go into lumbar spine flexion or flatten the low back to the floor. We're trying to maintain alignment of the rib cage and that natural lumbar spine curvature, which is actually a lordosis or a slight arch, not a big arch, a slight arch. Flattening the arch down or flattening the back down to the floor is actually disrupting or changing the optimal alignment of the lumbar spine. 
So what we're trying to do then is once we've done a release to get the pelvis in a better position, now we're teaching the client how to use their abdominal wall, how to use three-dimensional breathing, because that's the B of the ABCs, is we must teach an optimal three-dimensional breathing strategy. So first you align the person, the athlete, then you teach them how to breathe and belly breathing. So here's another thing that our industry is teaching wrong. And I, again, everything that I'm talking about is are all the things I did and did for a lot of years. So I jacked up way more people than any of us. I was teaching this stuff, you know, in all our workshops. I was reading this stuff in books. So I'm sort of embarrassed that, you know, I was actually part of the problem as well. So three-dimensional breathing is just that. Three-dimensional breathing, if you think about, stick your fingers on your collarbones as you're listening to this and slide straight back. That's your first rib right behind. So, so where you stop, your fingers stop behind your collarbone, that's your first rib right there. Your lung is right beneath. The top of your lung is right beneath your fingers. That's how high you should breathe. You need to breathe all the way up to your first rib and then all the way down to your pelvic floor. So as you're sitting there listening to this, reach under and feel your sit bones your ischial tuberosities or your sit bones, your pelvic floor sits right between those two sit bones. That's the bottom of what we call the cylinder, the thoracal pelvic cylinder or the cylinder, which is your core. Your breath needs to go all the way up to that first rib, all the way down to your pelvic floor. It also needs, put, put your hands on your rib cage now, side to side. Your hands, your, your breath should go into your hands side to side. So that's top to bottom, side to side. And now put one hand on the front side of your rib cage. Put your other hand on the back side of your ribcage. Your breath also needs to go front to back. That's what we refer to as three-dimensional breathing. It's not just belly breathing. Most of the patients that we see in our office, most of the athletes we see, they've all been taught belly breathing and do it well. What they don't do well is breathe into their ribcage side to side, front to back. They don't always do a great job getting their breath up to that first rib or down into their pelvic floor. Belly breathing is actually creating more problems now because, again, like anything in our industry, is we, we tend to learn something and then we overdo it. We do it too much and too agnosium. So what happens is it actually starts to become part of the problem. So the next thing we do, we align our client. We've done our release work. Now we've aligned our client. Now we do three-dimensional breathing, making sure that they're breathing into the area where they need it the most. So whether it be they need abdominal breathing, which is very few people, that's where we're focusing. If they need more ribcage breathing, side to side, where more, most athletes need it, we're having them breathe side to side. If they need more breath front to back, we have them breathe front to back, and that's where most athletes need it. It's, it's the side to side and front to back breathing that they need the most. Then from there, it's just control. We have them start moving their arms or moving their legs from that position without changing that position as they're maintaining that alignment and that three-dimensional breathing. Then from there, we're standing them upright, and we're putting them into some kind of squat and or hip hinge pattern to reinforce alignment, breathing, and control in the upright position. So we're teaching them how to release through their posterior hips, to sit into their hips. Because the next thing, the next most important thing after alignment, breathing control, is to teach them how to hip hinge. Hip hinging is, is the ability to eccentrically load the glutes in the posterior chain. And that's what all these guys are talking about, quote unquote, strengthening the posterior chain, is they're talking about strengthening the posterior chain through concentric force, meaning like do a hip thruster with as much weight as possible and, and tighten and squeeze those glutes as, as much as possible. But what that's all that's doing is strengthening that the posterior hip complex in the wrong way and in that posterior pelvic tilted position, so, which is just reinforcing all the issues we talked about previously. So what we're doing is we're focusing more on the eccentric loading of the hips. The eccentric loading, for your listeners that don't understand that term, just means lengthening. What we're trying to do is teach a client how to lengthen their hamstrings, glutes, and posterior hip rotators 
so that they can actually, the eccentric loading is what allows you to use it more effectively during the concentric phase of the exercise pattern. So say, for example, you're doing a hip hinge pattern, what you're focusing on or what you want to focus on is the lowering phase of the pattern more so than the, than the raising or, or the concentric or the lifting portion of the pattern. Because if you do a good job aligning, breathing, controlling, and teaching the individual how to load or eccentrically lengthen the hamstrings and glutes, there's only one thing the glutes and hamstrings will do, and that is pull you back up to the upright position. You don't have to focus so much on the strengthening component of it because once they, they groove that pattern, and this is the thing you talked about earlier or we alluded to earlier, what are the things that our, our industry are doing that are actually creating and perpetuating issues? This is the thing focusing too much on strengthening and concentric contraction of the muscle or shortening the muscle and not enough on the eccentric loading, loading under body weight and then eventually loading under external resistance to actually teach these muscles how to get into the right position for using the strength appropriately. And it's just like you're trying to, if you want to fling a rubber band as far as you can fling it, you pull the rubber band up, that's, that's, akin to the eccentric loading of your hamstrings and glutes. So that way then the rubber band flies as far as as the tension in the rubber band will take it. That's the same thing you're trying to create with your runners. The same thing you're trying to create or should be creating through your exercises is align breathing control to set up the proper positioning and then set up the eccentric loading so that your deadlifts, your squats, and all your functional patterns, your step-ups, all those patterns, then as you're developing strength, because again, I'm not saying not do not strengthen your athletes. I'm saying develop your strength on that appropriate and optimal strategy. So the beginning work is to set up that foundation or that initial more optimal and efficient strategy. Then all the exercises on top of that start to create the strength, the flexibility, the power, the endurance, whatever it is that your, your training program is designed to create. So I have a, I guess I want to jump in for a second. And yep. with, uh, with the eccentric concentric loading, I know that when I was yep. younger, I, I worked with strength and conditioning coaches as a, you yep. know, kind of high level volleyball player. And one of the things, I guess, for our listeners that, that really, I guess, changed my outlook on a lot of this, um, for those people that don't use these terms that we always used to work on, you know, jumping up. You know, you're jumping yeah. on a box, you're jumping up, and that yep. was the, yep. Yep. you know, the concentric yep. loading. You're going to jump higher if you, if you practice jumping higher. And in yeah. actuality, yeah. it's not. It's the eccentric load of, yep. you know, of yep. coming down is going to give you your power and your strength. And, yep. you know, I think once, and I'm going to say this for our listeners as well, that, you know, if you do, do go out and you're working with a strength and conditioning coach or your children, you know, you're hiring someone or a personal trainer or, you know, even, you know, presenting at conferences, you know, I, I go sit in the back, like I said, um, I said to Evan earlier, you know, I'll go in the back and pop in on different sessions and kind of that voyeuristic aspect where no one knows I'm there. I just like to, I yeah, like to sure. surround myself with, with the best in the industry. Cause that's the only way that you are going to learn more and yeah, be more absolutely. effective. Um, absolutely. I think that that's something our listeners need to need to be aware of that. If you are going to yeah. work with yeah. someone that you do your research, that they are yep. someone that, you know, yep. believes in what you're saying, like that functional aspect of, you know, it's not about how much weight can I, can I swing yep. this kettlebell with for five minutes? I mean, there's great things about running. There's great things about great CrossFit trainers. There's great yep. things yep. about lifting heavier weights, but is it specific? Are you, you know, are you sports specific? Because you know, I guess my issue with, um, 
you know, with people lifting heavy weights or, or CrossFit is that, you know, if you've never worked out before and all of a sudden you're 50 and you're like, Hey man, I gotta, I gotta do something crazy. And all of a sudden you want to like hang clean push press, like 200 pounds. I'm like, what, what's your purpose? Like, what, yeah, what's yeah. the deal? Or, and, ju- or just follow the board. It's right. on the board. I have to do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. And it may not be the best for, for all of us. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I guess my, my, my call to action for everyone out there is that, you know, listen to, listen to some of this information because there's things that you just do because someone tells you to do. Um, you know, and I always go back to, I, Evan, I love, um, Jonathan Ross had this, um, yep. had this saying, you know, with, you know, size seven shoes, you walk into a shoe store and, you know, if everyone, if they only sell size seven shoes and you're a nine, you can't fit into those. And, That's right. That's exactly right. And I, I love, you know, kind of referring back to such a basic um, reference, but it's so true. And what one athlete is doing, you know, again, with assessing your hips and, you know, thinking about your glutes, it may work for one person. It's not going to work for the other. So That's exactly right. when you, you know, now, you know, you're seeing these people, what do they do? Like I just said, you know, I want, you know, I, I wish for everyone that they do a little research. They find out. You know, mm-hmm. what, like we asked you about principles, you know, what are your principles? Yeah. How do people go about finding out yeah. who's not getting a certification online and talking about, yeah. you know, yeah. this or that and getting injured? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think that's very challenging. And, and, and to be fair, you know, I'm, I'm going to backtrack just, just a bit. And, and to be fair, there's a lot of great strength and conditioning coaches out there. Oh, absolutely. That are way more knowledgeable than I am, and and when people ask me like, "Can you write me a program for my son, my daughter, or myself?" I'm like, "No, go find somebody that actually that actually can write you a good program. I can just help create the foundation for you, so that that program will be more successful." Now, finding that right person is very very challenging because exactly as you alluded to, Christine, there are too many people that they were an athlete themselves, so therefore they think that they can train somebody, or they go to a, a weekend workshop or or a strength and conditioning workshop or go on to the latest blog post and, and uh, some famous strength and conditioning um, trainer and just copy and paste, you know? So it's very hard to find the right person. But here's the thing that I would look for. When you're interviewing and you have to interview the coach that you're, you're going to work with or you're, you're, you know, even worse, it's not worse, but, but that your, ch- your child will work with. The things I would look for is every, every coach is going to teach, tell you the buzzwords. Oh, we're going to help make your, your child more, you know, you know, more explosive, more power, more functional. You know, we really believe in training the whole body and, and it all sounds good. And, and if you don't know any better, you're like, Oh, that sounds great. I'm sign me up. But what I would be looking for, if, if I'm going to take my child to, I don't have a child, but if I'm going to take my niece, for example, to a strength and conditioning coach, what I'm looking for is we're going to focus on training foundational principles. We're going to teach the, the your athlete, your child, your, your niece, how to better use their body, better align, better control. I'll look for things that we're going to build up foundational strength, stability, and control. If, if they come out and they want to wow you with, we're going to make your athlete more explosive. We're going to make your athlete this or that. We're going to really, you know, we, we create so much strength and power. That would be a turnoff to me because because you, you haven't talked about. It's like going to a school and saying, hey, you know what? We're going to teach your we're going to teach your you know 
it's taking your kid, your kid to kindergarten. You know, you want to get, get your kid into the best kindergarten uh, program around. And, and the, and the teacher's like, Hey, we're, we're going to, we're going to give your, your, you know, we're going to have your child doing the most advanced calculus. We're going to teach them how to, <laughs> how to read, you know, Moby Dick, but you know, it's, it's like, no, I, I want a program for my child that helps develop foundational ability to do math, do science, do reading, writing, whatever it may be, all, all, all those fundamental skills. I was just talking to a top, like, like literally I was just out in California a few days ago working with one of, one of the top trainers for the top 20. You know, he's worked with multiple top 20 PGA golfers. And we were talking about this very concept. And then what he, what he shared with me is, is if you think about the Russian approach to training, most of them don't, most of their athletes don't specialize until they're 15, 16, 17, 18. They spend the first 10 years of their training just focusing on foundational movement. You know, so, so gymnastics, we'll just use gymnastics, for example, and teaching their athletes how to be better movers, not better athletes. Move well. Teach them how to align breathing control. Teach them posture and movement, movement skills, those fundamental. How do you squat, lunge, deadlift? Sorry, yeah, deadlift. Um, push, pull, rotate, bend. Teach them. The program should focus on those skills and then do you know, more speed training or more power training, whatever it is. I, I, you know, I, I think, like, again, I think a lot of these programs look good, look flashy, but I'd be looking for programs that focus on fundamentals. And then I would sit there and watch. I would, I would watch a practice to see, interview the coach, ask the right questions. Are they focused on foundational training? And then go to a practice, watch what they do with their athletes. See if that person is obviously motivational, but more inspirational. Do they actually empower and teach your, are they actually educating your athlete or are they going to educate you if you're going to be part of that program to actually how to move better versus just, Hey, we're going to make you stronger, faster, uh, more flexible, whatever the functional outcome may be. So do your due diligence and find the right person. Cause like, like I said, there are great coaches out there, but most of the great coaches they're not on social media. They're not out there blaring, you know, blasting themselves as, as, as a solution to, to everyone's problems. They're quietly doing their work, and they do great work, and they don't have time to get on social media and, and all those other things. That, so that is the you, truth. You, you, do, you do diligence. That is the truth right there. All right. I want to, uh, you know, with time being an issue on the interview here, uh-huh. I want to make sure that we really address the runners in the house. Uh, sure, you sure, know, sure. that's my uh, bread and butter, and I do work with a lot of runners. Yep. And, I mean, I work with a lot of high school kids and kids that are, um, you know, just kind of working in it. And, and honestly, if I can, if they, if, you know, I have them stand on one foot, <laughs> it's where we start, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For and sure, we for see, sure. we see right away where, you know, how, how strong they are, really how weak they are and, and then kind of take things from there. What are you seeing from, what are you seeing from the runners? What are you seeing as far as what, um, people are doing right, what they're doing wrong, how you approach, uh, you know, fixing their imbalances, yep. uh, especially. Yep. Especially the um, younger kids. Well, no, everybody. I mean, I you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we we run into the same issues, right? We see we see yeah. Achilles tendonitis, we see plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, yep. runner's yep. knee, yep. Uh, it, yep. and and uh, you know, usually some glutes or hamstring type of stuff along the way. Yeah. So so here's here's the thing. You know, yeah. You know, I, I hope this has been educational and it doesn't seem like I'm just bashing the entire strength and conditioning industry. No. But, but here's what runners do really well. And runners are really like, you know, the whole, the whole 
idea of personal training really started from the running industry it, it, because runners were really the first people that that recognized that you have to take care of your body in order to continue to run. So that's really where like soft tissue and corrective exercise actually started. So as you know, I have to commend the running, you know, the, the running aspect of, of health and wellness fields as, as starting that whole corrective exercise, you know, approach to things. So from that standpoint, Runners are do, do they understand the importance of doing things like myofascial release, doing uh, stretching, flexibility work, mobility work, and now moving into understanding the importance of, of strength as well. So from that standpoint, that's what runners do very well. You have to continue that. So the first thing, and I'm sure you do this already, so I'm sort of preaching to the choir, if a runner is not focused on having a, a, their own self-care routine, then they're sort of missing the boat and they will set themselves up for injury. So that's, that's what they're doing well. What I think we can do better and what we see in our runners and, and how we really are effective at helping our runners, and this leads to a multitude of issues, uh, I'll encapsulate it in three things. Number one, release the right muscles. So like I said, in runners, most runners that we see are stuck in posterior pelvic tilt because what happens is they get very extended through their thoraxes and they get very tucked under with their pelvis. And, and a lot of that also has been ingrained through the, the different blogs. You know, hey, strengthen your abdominal wall, strengthen your glutes, you know, it'll make you a better runner. And fundamentally, that's true, but the way they're going, they've been taught to go about it is, is actually inaccurate. So what I'd focus on is not trying to pull your abs in, not trying to squeeze your glutes, but again, Going back to that strategy that I used or discussed earlier that I would use very similar with a CrossFit athlete or even a strength and conditioning athlete, I would say focus on releasing the posterior hip complex. Focus on releasing, yes, TFL may need to be released, released, but TFL is generally over-lengthened. Rectus femoris is generally over-lengthened. Psoas for sure is over-lengthened. Don't worry about stretching hip flexors so much. Focus more on releasing the posterior hip complex. Then work on alignment and breathing. So use a multitude of positions. Use happy baby on the back position or dead bug position. Use the quadruped position. So things like you know, bird dog. However, focus more on the alignment of the rib cage and pelvis. And then do your breathing three-dimensionally. Make sure the breath goes top to bottom, side to side, as well as front to back. Don't focus so much on belly breathing. Because generally speaking, as a runner, you're not doing a whole lot of belly breathing when you're running. You're actually more in your chest. So what happens, what we see with a lot of our runners, is they're not doing great breathing into their chest and upper rib cage. So they need more lateral rib cage breathing. They need more front-to-back breathing because, as I mentioned, more extension of your thorax, which most runners are in, they will start – they'll block their ability to breathe that front-to-back. So breathe, focus more on that front-to-back aspect. And the easiest way to train front-to-back breathing is to get a yoga strap Lie on your back in that happy baby position without flattening down your low back, pulling your abs in or squeezing your butt. Wrap that yoga strap around your – right underneath your armpits. Snug it up. Cross it across your chest. Snug it up and start focusing on breathing into the backside, the sides and backside of the strap. I mean you're, you're going to be breathing into the entire strap. That's what three-dimensional breathing is. Then stand up and do a couple squats or lunges or hip hinges. Still breathing into that strap. You want to focus on aligning that rib cage and breathing into that – rib cage in the entire three-dimensional in an entire three-dimensional manner that's the easiest way we send our clients our runners home to start working on three-dimensional breathing and making sure that they get all aspects of the thorax and then the third thing i'd say is then yeah you have to do some kind of conditioning work teach teach the we teach our runners how to do hip hinging so 
making sure that they understand how to move their pelvis. We teach them how to go from hip hinging into lunging. And then we do forward lunging, backwards lunging. And we also go from lunging to single leg stance. So they really learn how to own that single leg stance position. Because again, you know, running is all about the efficiency of what happens when you get onto single leg stance. Because running is all single leg stance. So those, those are the things that we really focus you know, if you like, what are the three foundations? It's the alignment, breathing control. It's teaching how to breathe three-dimensionally. It's teaching how to use the hips and glutes appropriately, and then just building up the appropriate progressions. And if you guys want, I can shoot a real quick video to show you just kind of like what, you know, show your listeners what, what this actually looks Absolutely. like. Absolutely. That was, that was a question that I had for you, just to, just to take it through. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with, with what you're saying, but I want everybody to, mm-hmm. to see that. So definitely send the video. When we talk, yeah. when we talk, uh, uh, the hip hinge and the, that, you know, the demo I usually use is kind of like a broad jump type of method. Like I'm setting up to lock up the, to, to yep. get ready to extend. Like I'm going to do a broad jump, flat back, hips back, yep. Uh, yep. knees, yep. knees over ankles type of, uh, of setup. Um, you know, which is so that's more or less what we're talking about with that. Absolutely. So it's really, it's really, and and this is where the video will help as well. It's really, really about aligning that rib cage over top of the pelvis. And when you say flat back, we're not trying to flatten the back. We're just trying to keep the back aligned right. as if it looks like it's flat, but it's actually not flat. You still have the curves of your spine, and I'll show you exactly what that looks like in the video. And then, yeah, you're loading that posterior hip comp complex as if you're you're trying to jump maximally um like almost like a broad jump so to speak um versus a vertical jump but it's very similar components and this is this is exactly what you're talking about earlier as well christine with with jumping is is it's the eccentric loading that you're really trying to get because that's what will actually help your client your runner be more efficient is being able to use that posterior chain effectively by loading it up effectively I love all of this because it's really reinforcing a lot of what is out there, but putting it together maybe in a different way. I know, yeah. Evan, a lot of people ask me um, as a, you know, as a runner who does not follow the playbook. Of She's a running. rogue. She's I a, am. She goes rogue. I do. Uh, I do a lot of different types of training, but, you know, I, I do run and, and um, you know, and do you know, some bigger races, but people always ask me, what's your one go-to? Like, what do you do? What, what is the secret? And I say breathing. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell yeah. people. And they say, yeah. you're, and they shake their head and say, you're lying to me. The breath, you can't say that you perform so well because of breathing. And I said, well, it's, you know, yes, I do train. I said, but if it wasn't for the breath, the thing I teach people is you control your breath. The breath does not control you. I say that all the time. And yeah. what you're saying with a three-dimensional breathing Really, this is body control. You know, you're, yep. you're controlling yep. your breath, you're controlling your body, your stance, um, your alignment, your posture. You know, without that, everything gets thrown off. And, you know, I love that you have that message for everyone because what we'll do is we'll put, you know, we'll put your video out there and also yep. um, we'll put, you know, the, the titles of your books and links as well yep. because I think a lot of our listeners, you know, hey, listeners, maybe you want to, uh, check out, you know, some of this information and, and buy one of these books because I think, um, I think there's so much useful information on all of, uh, of all of the, you know, corrective exercise that you have your hands in, not just for what we talked about today, but, um, but really so much more. Um, by the way, are your, are some of your lectures out, uh, to be downloaded or whatnot? Yeah. On our site, 
IIHFE.com. It used to be called Fitness Education Seminars, so you can also find it through Fitness Education Seminars or just go to www.iihfe.com. We have a complete video resource library. Now, some of these videos, we have we have over like probably 200 videos on our site, short instructional videos. Some of the early ones, the audio or the video, because we were using the, those old-fashioned kind of... You, <laughs> and, you should uh, you should hear you should hear our first few podcasts. <laughs> yeah, or, no, or not, <laughs> or not, or not, or not. We get right, that. Right. There's progress, progress everywhere. Right, right. You, you continue to get better, right? Evolve. Um, <laughs> but, but almost everything we talk about, we've talked about in this in this podcast. You you can find a video on on our website, and definitely in the book. You know, when you purchase like the SOAS solution, there's like 25 videos that show you how to do three-dimensional breathing, show you how to get the breath all the way up to the first rib, all the way around the rib cage. It shows you how to do a proper hip hinge. It shows you how to progress to single leg stance. So it, it, the, we've, we've got tons of free resources, and the SOAS solution at $16 on Amazon, I believe it is, is, is a steal for that price. I mean, it, I put, you know, five years of research uh, in, into, that, into that book, and it, and it has our most up-to-date information and, and, and strategy of how we, how we how, basically how we work with our athletes and clients here in our, in our office. So it's really like $16,000 worth of information, <laughs> yeah, exactly. at least, you know, yeah, exactly. deep That's discounts. Priced, yes. Right, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, all, yeah, on, for sure, for all sure. in. So real fast, if you could just repeat for all of our listeners, yep. and we will also yep. post this on our, you know, social media platforms and whatnot. Tell everyone where they can find you and find out more information and, and books and everything once again. For sure, for sure. You can find us at our website, which is called the Institute for Integrative Health and Fitness Education. So it's www.iihfe.com. We've also been our we've changed our name in the last year, but we were originally called Fitness Education Seminars. So if you look on YouTube, we have easily I don't know close to upwards of 200 videos. On Amazon, I wrote two books called The Corrective Exercise Solutions to Common Hip and Shoulder Dysfunction. So that was written in 2012, and just this year, now January, I'm going to start writing the second edition to that book because a lot of our concepts have evolved as, as we've talked about because we've learned more, we've, we've changed things, but it's still a great resource. And then the SOAS Solution I released a couple uh, years ago, 2017, I believe, and that has all the latest information on the glutes, the SOAS hip flexors, how to tr- effectively train those fundamental patterns, and a lot of the concepts that we talked about here join the podcast as well. And like I said, I will shoot that video going over those, those couple foundation things, the alignment, the breathing control, how do you, how you take that into the upright position, how you use um, functional hip hinging patterning, how you do three dimensional breathing for, for your audience as well. So they have that resource as well. And uh, yeah, they can always feel free to reach out to me through the website as well. This is fantastic. Evan, we can't thank you enough. This is uh uh, enlightening and uh, and reassur- reaffirming, I guess, uh, some things yeah. that you know that we're teaching and and uh, and may change our minds on some other things. So, uh, uh, all good stuff for sure. Great, thank you so much. I truly appreciate the opportunity to be on and and for what you guys do because we we need intelligent people out there sharing appropriate and real knowledge, not just you know just trying to trying to create uh, the latest buzz or fad which, which is, is happening too frequently frequently so I really appreciate you guys having me on and, and being open-minded to to the things that we're sharing with you well that was a compliment right there intelligent people Christine <laughs> you hear that I, you know she carries me doc she carries me through this I, you know the, the, the women always do dude uh, no that's right no 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 no, no. We're, we're fully aware 
right. And by the way, um, we didn't talk about your beautiful wife that you also work with. That's exactly right. You are correct. Like I said, the women carry us. My wife, Janice Maddock, is the director of our company. She's she's made me a better person. She makes this company. She makes everything we, we do better. So I, I can't do what I do without her. And she's a big part of what we do when we're out on the road teaching. And she and our trainer, Sarah Fisher, I'll give her a shout out as well. She, those two are the first people I present any new information to anything I want to change about our protocol, how we're doing things. They're the first people that get this information. They give me feedback. And if it doesn't pass their litmus test, it doesn't get in, doesn't get put into our, our teaching or, or my books. So I'm a better person and this information is, is because of them. Well, we thank you for all the research you're doing, and it is just making the rest of us just healthier and hopefully living more quality lives because, you know, we, we only have one body, and we need to take care of it sometimes and, and realize that, yep. you know, we are all very much individuals, and um, this yep. is super important. So keep doing what you're doing, and tell your wonderful wife I said hello because- I definitely will. For those listeners, you know, we've, we've kind of- I met Evan on- presenting at uh, conferences around the country. So he's fantastic, everyone. Please check him out and uh, and uh, start to educate yourself. That's it. Thank you, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for all the kind words and uh, look forward to being back someday. Awesome. Absolutely. And I'll see you soon, Evan. Thanks so much. Be good. Be good. And uh, with that said, it is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies. And a microphone. We are where it's at. Peace, everybody.